University Baptist Church is a faith community striving to think critically, live creatively, and love continually in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. We gather on Sunday mornings at 5775 Highland Road between Lee Drive and Kenilworth Parkland. Visit ubc-br.org or at ubcbr on Facebook for more information. Quick poll. I'm 99.9% sure the reason you finished the game is because everyone else gave up after five hours of playing the game. It's the most ridiculous board game that has ever been created. It's so long and so cumbersome. I've shared with you before, our family does game night on Sundays, and every time the girls suggest Monopoly, we're like, uh, maybe not. We don't others and make deals to monopolize the board to win the McDonald's Monopoly contest. And essentially, this guy that was in charge of distributing the prize pieces to various McDonald's stores, found a way to swap out the winning pieces for other pieces, and then send them to various friends and family and acquaintances from all over the country. All in all, he was able to steal $13 million board game. Do you ever feel like your life is a bunch of pieces that are being moved around all by the roll of the dice? What about when it comes to play the game of buying a better home, a better creation on the meaning of existence from the book of Ecclesiastes, and we're taking a look at some of the more challenging aspects of life and examining the purpose behind it. You know this is off to a good start. Because the work that is done under the sun was so grievous to me. All of it is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. I hated all the things I had toiled under the sun because I must leave them to do one who comes after me. And who knows whether that person will be wise or foolish. Yet they all have control over the fruit of my toil in which I have poured my effort and my skill under the sun. This too is meaningless. Do you remember that Confucius phrase in which he said, choose a job you love and you will never work a day in your life. I'm 99.9% sure the writer of Ecclesiastes would say that Confucius was an idiot. So apparently hating your job is as old as dirt as we read this ancient text. Man, this guy really, really hates his job. He hates his job so much that he hates life. What's the point of what I'm doing, the writer asked. I'm just going to pass it on to someone else after me who, if so, you're, you're not alone. A recent Gallup poll found that 52.3% of participants reported they were unhappy with their job. Unhappy is nothing compared to the 70% of people who reported they hated their job. Here's just some of the feedback they got. I hate my job. Many people, every single day, you've probably heard it in the workplace. But while hating your job is, is a pretty common human experience, that doesn't make it any less difficult to handle. After all, you spend upwards of half of your waking hours at work. If you can't stand what you do, it's hard to feel good about life. And if you're not sure if you hate your job, then consider if you live in the Sunday night blues every night of the week. Spend a lot of your time complaining about your work. Find yourself distracted at work day after day. Feel every day is a challenge or don't feel like you are challenged enough or feel like you are having this burden on your shoulders every single day. But just because hating your job, it's actually quite miserable. And if you're like the writer of Ecclesiastes who thinks about quitting but feels guilty and worried about who will take over, he basically says in verse 19, who knows what the next idiot will do with my hard work and dedication and progress. 
They were probably just going to mess it up. And then what was the whole purpose behind my toil? The hatred for the job only gets worse because look at verse 20. So my heart began to despair over all my toilsome labor under the sun. For a person may labor with wisdom, knowledge, and skill. Then they must leave all they own to another who has not toiled for it. This too is meaningless and a great misfortune. What do people get for all the toil and anxious striving with which they labor under the sun? All their days, their work is grief and pain. Even at night, their minds do not rest. This too is meaningless. Disdain turns into dislike. Disdain turns to hatred, he writes. And our relationship with work affects more than just our wallets. When we hate our job, it should not be a surprise to us that it negatively impacts our health, our our outlook on life, and our mental well-being. Have you ever realized that your relationship with others can also be drastically affected by your relationship with your job? We, We tend to take our stress out and struggles out on those that are closest to us. And even, have you ever been short with your spouse because you had a hard day at work or ignored your kids because you're wrapped up with the issue that's still... Hating your job can create a lot of stress and worry. One Stanford study found that nearly 58% of all U.S. healthcare costs are associated with how companies treat their employees. Not being satisfied with your job takes a toll on your mental health and physical health, and it can lead to weight loss or gain, getting sick more frequently, stomach problems, insomnia, or other sleep problems, head and muscle aches, high blood pressure, depression, and anxiety. Years back, I was part of the very first CBF Fellows program. Eric is currently in this program. It's it's designed to develop pastoral leadership among 15 to 20 clergy within CBF over a period of two years, centered around three retreats per year. Fellows get together for, for learning and for coaching. And as part of my Fellows program, we visited senior pastors from CBF churches in the area that our retreats were taking place. And as a group, we sat down and talked with them about pastoral leadership and and much more. Uh, After almost every single one of our visits with senior pastors that our group interviewed, they quit their church within a month or two. (laughs) We called it the fellow's curse. And do you know the number one reason these pastors were quitting? It's because they were utterly burned out, stressed to the max, and experiencing major medical issues as a result. Let's take a step back. Before the physical and mental and emotional toll of our jobs, before the disdain and the hatred, to consider why. What's the purpose behind my job? Can you relate to the person who said, I wait all week for Friday, all year for summer. How tough is it then to find meaning behind what we do? That's where the writer of Ecclesiastes repeats again and again, we toil, we toil, we toil, And it's all meaningless. Most of us expect work to give us some sense of purpose in life. We want to know that what we are doing is making a difference. We want to see that our work is part of something bigger than ourselves. And as a writer of Ecclesiastes states, I will spend my whole life toiling away, and for what? Just to pass it on to someone else? What's the meaning in all of that? What do we take with us when we end up? When we end our life, oh, that fortune that we work so hard for, all of our stuff goes to our family who then either sells it or donates it. Our house will be, will all be gone. As a person wrote, 
And then there's the most dangerous risk of it all, the risk of spending our life not doing what we want to bet. We buy ourselves freedom that we will somehow get it later on. What's the meaning in all of this? What's the purpose? The writer is expressing one of the deepest frustrations of humanity. We are born with the desire to do something, to have something, or to make something that will last. I recently read a story of a man named Roman Blum. You probably says he was a holocaust. He died. And at his death, he was worth $40 million. Guess what? He had no one living to give his money to or to give his wealth to. No living relatives at all. So what this meant was the state of news of verse 21, for the person may labor with wood, not toiled for it our disdain and our hatred and our burnout and the meaninglessness? The answer is quite simple, profound. In in some cases, do we just quit our job and find something that we enjoy more? Sometimes, yes. Some places are toxic and soul-sucking, so bound to uh, contradict our core values and beliefs that finding something new is the answer. We find ourselves doing the exact same thing that we've done before, and we get so frustrated with it. Too many people quit their job just to find another one and find themselves, unless their parents gave them a nice hedge fund. Work this as he refers to his toil under the sun. Imagine someone working under hard and grueling conditions. Do you think another job would have not had hardship or challenge or labor? So what do we do? What's the answer to the meaninglessness of our toil? Well, look at what it says in verse 24. A person can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in their own toil. This, too, I see, is from the hand of God. For without God, who can eat or find enjoyment? To the person who pleases God, God gives wisdom and knowledge and happiness. But to the sinner, God gives the task of gathering and storing up wealth to hand it over to one who pleases God. This, too, is meaningless chasing after the wind. Oh my Lord, y'all, the writer finally said something positive. He's so cynical. He's so jaded. You almost speed right past it to expect him to continue down this road of meaninglessness. If you're looking for meaning in your toil, if you're looking for purpose in your labor, if you're hoping your job is going to give you meaning, you'll never find it, he writes. But find satisfaction in what you do, he writes. But it's not up to our own satisfaction that gives us purpose to our labor. It's that God gives us that satisfaction through wisdom and knowledge and happiness. How does God give us such things? Do we just pray, God, give me wisdom and knowledge and happiness at work? Well, the answer is yes and Yes, God desires for us to pray for our needs. Jesus teaches us that we should ask God to give us what we need in our time of need and have faith to believe that God will give it to us. So yes, we should bring to God the struggles and difficult emotions that we have at work. We should bring to God our strained relationships with our bosses and our coworkers. We should bring to God our pains of the purposelessness behind our projects and our tasks and deadlines. Yes, belief in Jesus meets our willingness to follow in the way of Jesus. You see, our mindset about what we do, the way we interact with our coworkers, our attitude about the task to our in life, about 
and the way that we live out the what he has asked us to live. And if we believe in Jesus, then we know that patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control and joy are vital for our life. But also we believe that prudence, now you're starting to see why. It's not that God just gives us these things in faith if we believe them and live them out. Because such character is difficult to develop and it bumps against the toil of our life. At a previous church, I about how much he hated his job his, to cap off all of this. He said, at the end of the day, I'm just a stinking plumber. So I took a couple deep breaths. We've all been given different kinds of tasks with different kinds of purposes. But your job as a plumber is no less important than my job as a pastor. Every day you help people solve problems in people's lives that they're, not unable to, that they're unable to solve themselves. And sure, it might smell from time to time, but what you do has a purpose. We all can think of the jobs that we never would want to have, even more than the one we already do have. And we can all think of the jobs that we never would want to touch. But can we find purpose in our jobs? Now think about what you do for a living. Even if you are a retired, a lawyer, a teacher, or a banker, a, a janitor, or investment strategist, an engineer, or a stay-at-home parent, a student, a technician, or an organizational strategist, put it, if you find what you do, or as another person wrote, I have looked in the mirror every morning and asked myself, if today were the last day of my life, would I want to do what I'm about to do today? And whenever the answer has been no for far too many days in a row, the mindset about our jobs. And what we think we should come to, what I hope we can come to see this morning is that action and wisdom and knowledge and God has and is and will bless us abundantly. And for those that have chosen to follow Jesus, you have embraced the grace and love power that spoke life to entrust in us the quality of, of God's church to our theology of work. God has equipped you. As Parker Palmer put it, our deepest calling is to grow into our own authentic selfhood, whether or not it conforms to some image of who you ought to be. As we do so, we will not only find the joy that every human being seeks, we will also find our path of authentic service in the world. One of the essential aspects of self our lives God has given each of us various resources and strengths and gifts. For some, you, you might be good with your hands. You have the ability to craft and a teacher. Uh, Celesta, who has remarkably led so many of us through amazing summer gatherings, art projects. For others, you have the ability to draw out beauties in innovative ways. Ever have a conversation with Gay Corson that as a person who sees the goodness in any and all situations and people? For others, you, you bring the gift of, of music and art to life by bringing joy and love through your music. We simply take advantage every single Sunday of Kay Hawthorne's ability each week. You ever heard Sarah Tipton play the cello before? For some, you, you see the Breland spent his entire career in civil engineering and fixing problems. Still, for some, you, your mind works in finite systems. Sit down with Barry Kilpatrick for five minutes and your mind will be blown at his wisdoms of humor that holds it all together. 
You think of how the, the state of Louisiana stays organized without the leadership of, of Katie Justice in the governor's office. For some, you've been given the gift of, of compassion to be present with people when they need it the most. Glenda Evans will make you feel amazing through her wonderful baking. Bobby Germany will, will call out the gifts that you do not serve, and I'll, I'll try to fill you up. Out of this unique giftedness, we should see a constant and organic connection to our Creator. It's a Creator that did not cookie-cutter all of humanity. Instead, we discover a Creator who, out of God's bountiful compassion, equipped you and me for unique gifts. Let that settle in for just a second. This is where a, a theology of work must begin. It must begin with embracing the giftedness that God has given us, of how you see God, of how you journey with God, and how you view your work. Let me repeat that. Discerning, understanding, and embracing your God-given uniqueness, strengths, assets, resources, and gifts is a vital part of who you are. Unique giftedness and passions and strengths that, and interests that, that God has, has woven into your life. Let's enter into a time of reflective response this morning.